Thessalonians chapter 4 tonight. That's our text and the authority. Thank you, Cena and Lauren. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. You know, I, I mentioned how much I've enjoyed the testimonies we've had the last couple of nights and days. I actually heard one uh, today as well. And it is interesting, is it not, to, to see people that are doing something that is changing the world, doing something significant, uh, pastoring abroad, for example, uh, and think to ourselves, well, you know, I, God's will is for someone thousands of miles from here doing something um, extraordinary, you know, pastoring to people that speak a different language, ministering in a different culture. And indeed, we are, we are humbled by such efforts. But if you sit here tonight thinking that God's will is for someone else, then you're not missing something. You're missing everything. God's will is not for young people. It is not for the full-time ministering class. It is for you. What does God want? What does God will? Do you care? And do you know? Now, I'm here to tell you, if you do care, you can know. The fact is, one of my goals for the brief time we have is that every person in this room will know whether you're in God's will or not by the time we're done. Now, I do not mean by that you have some grand design of where you're going to be in 20 years. I think your 20-year plan is probably worth a biscuit because no one knows what's going to happen in five hours, let alone 20 years. So do I have a grand plan? Yes. Am I going to tell you no? No, that's my secret, right? And I'll, you know, as that develops and changes, well, then I'll develop and change, but I know generally where I'm going, and God has... You know, carte blanche to do whatever he wants any step of the way. So what, is, what does God want? What does God will? And how would you know? Well, I remember making a decision when I was 17, 16 actually, in the John Rice Auditorium on the Bill Rice Ranch. It's one of three auditoriums. It's the, the largest of the three. And I remember hearing a preacher. It was my dad actually. And the message that night was just the importance of giving your life to God to say, God, whatever you want, Whatever that means, wherever I live, wherever that leads, whoever I marry, whatever I do, God, whatever you want, I will do it. And let me just say, there's no hierarchy of God's servants like, this guy's the janitor, this guy's a real smart preacher somewhere. Okay, now we think that God does not. Amen. You cannot do better than doing what God has gifted you to do. And by the way, if God's called you, God has gifted you. The two go together. So... We talk about God's calling, and, and indeed there is, but uh, we talked about this just recently. I think most frequently it's a matter of God's gifting, and that's how you, you start to know the, the call of God in your life. So did I make a decision to do whatever God wanted me to do when I was 17? Yes. But as I heard this morning in chapel, that's something that has to be, be uh, recommitted every, every morning, every day. Now, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 Verse 3 talks about the will of God, and verse 7 talks about the calling of God. And this is very typical. There's a specific context. We will talk on that. But I want to look at, first of all, just the broader context or the broader message of what's being said here. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3, the Bible says, For this is the what? Will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication. So God's will is that you be 
pure in your life, that you be sexually pure. Just being really crass and, and, and flat out, that's what it's, that, that is God's will. At least that is a part of God's will. That's not the total of God's will, but that is God's will. Which is to say, if you're some great preacher, but you're not faithful to your wife, you're not in God's will. You may be doing what God gifted you to do and where you think God led you to be, but you're not in God's will because God's will is not something like your vocation or your location or how you make money. God's will is every part of your life. And if you won't surrender the everyday, you might as well give up on the big because they all go together. So the will of God is that you keep your life pure. Verse 7 talks about the call of God. For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. Uh, so the Bible talks about the call and the, the, um, the will of God. You know, rebels can't find God's will for the same reason a thief can't find a police officer. It's just not something they're very much into. So what I want to tell you tonight is very simple. God's will is not something you seek. It is something you do. Now, should you seek God's will? Of course. But there's a sense in which, hear what I'm saying, not what I'm not saying. God's will is not something you're seeking forever. Oh, someday I want to do the will of God. You're seeking in the future. No, God's will is right now, and you're either doing it or you're not. And here's the great thing. If you'll be willing to do what you know is right right now, you can have the big picture if God wants you to have it when God wants you to have it. I think for most of us, God leads us a step at a time. And if you'll just do right this next step and not try to be a genius not try to figure out everything, if you'll just be willing and obedient right now, then I, I, you can rest assured that you'll be doing exactly what God gifted you and intended you and breathed life into you uh, to do in the first place. Um, first of all, God's will is now. It's not the future. Notice again verse 3. The Bible says, For this is the will of God. So God's will is now. Here's what that means. It means if you're 70 and you think I'm preaching to teenagers to give their life to God. No, I'm not. I'm talking to you. I'm talking to 17. I'm talking to 71. I'm talking to those on the perimeters beyond that and those inside. I'm talking to everybody because God is talking to everybody. God's will is now. You know, now is the most important part of God's will. And yet, in spite of ourselves, when we think about God's will, we're always thinking about someday in the future. Stop that. Stop that. Right now is God's will. You don't have tomorrow. You can have a 20-year plan. You don't know that you're going to live 20 days. I hope you will. And I, I would, I'm an optimist. I expect that you will. But it doesn't matter what I expect or what you want. What matters is what you're doing right now. Now is all that you have. You know, waiting to uh, do God's will, to heed God's call, waiting is an excuse not to act right now. So if you're thinking, well, you know, I don't, I don't know if God wants me to be in Zimbabwe or not. No, maybe you don't know that, but you, you do know God's will for right now. I guarantee you, you do. If you think about it a little bit, those things will come to you. Now, if you're not doing what you should right now in your house, with your wife, with your kids, with your parents, with your job, you might as well hang up Zimbabwe. I mean, how in the world are you going to know about that if you're not doing what is right Right now. So God's will is now. Uh, God's will is here. Verse 1, look at, we didn't look at verse 1 actually, but verse 1 says this. Furthermore, then, we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, 
that as ye have received of us, how ye ought to walk and to please God, so ye would abound more and more. So notice what he, he, he mentions here. He mentions um, how you ought to walk, not so much where you ought to walk. He's talking about your, your, your act of walking, how you ought to walk. And here we see that God's will is right here. It's not just right now. It's right here right now. And how is more important than where. You know, a lot of times when we think about the will of God, instantly we're thinking, where does God want me? Does God want me in Clinton? I was in Clinton, Indiana last week. I'm in Clinton, Maine this week. And which Clinton does God want me in? Well, you know, last week God wanted me in Clinton, Indiana. And tonight I'm glad to say God wants me in Clinton, Maine. Now, 20 years from now, I don't expect anything changing as far as God's grand design. But God's God and I'm not. He can do whatever He wants. And the way I'm going to know what He wants me to do later is to be doing what God wants me to do right now. So how is more important than, than where? And notice that pleasing God is His will. He says, uh, as ye have received of us, how ye ought to walk and to what? Please God. So pleasing God is God's will. If you are pleasing God tonight, then you're in God's will. And if you're in God's will, you're pleasing God. So God's will is now. God's will is here. And I love this. God's will is clear. Now, you may not feel like it is because, again, you may be thinking some big thing some way off, way off in the future, and if I'm 70, I, you know, I, I don't even worry about that now because that's way behind me. And if I'm, if I'm 15, how could I ever know that? No, regardless of your age, your nation, your station, you can know what God wants from you right now. God's will is clear. Uh, God won't send an angel if you don't start with what you already know. What are you waiting for? A, you know, a bolt from the blue? Some angel will appear in your bedroom and tell you what he wants you to do. God's will is clear. Now, let me give you some examples, and that's going to take up the balance of our time together tonight, and that is thinking about um, what God wants. God, God's will is clear. Let, let me begin, not with the text, but with something we see a little bit later, and that is salvation, you're making the decision to turn to Jesus Christ exclusively and alone to forgive your sin and give you peace with God. That is God's will. It is not God's will for you to reject Jesus Christ. That is not God's will. Look at uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and look at verse 9. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 9. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5 9, For God hath not appointed us to wrath but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us that, whether we wake or sleep, we should live with Him. So I just want to tell you, God has not appointed your wrath. Jesus died. God sent His Son to die so that you could have life, so that you could be saved. And friend, look, do you think you're more spiritual than God is? You think like, you want your neighbors to be saved, but God's kind of indifferent about them. Maybe He wants them to be saved. Maybe He doesn't. We'll see. God, if it be your will, the sweet by and by, please save so and so. It is God's will. And you don't have to the sweet by and by. You have right now. First um, Timothy chapter 2. Uh, the Bible's talking about praying for all men. Well, interesting word, that little word all in the Greek, what it actually means is all men. Because when he says to pray for all men, it means everyone, including the king. For kings and for all that are in authority. And then he says, 
that God our Savior, so Jesus is God, verse 4, will have all men to be saved and to come into the knowledge of the truth. So who am I to pray for? All men. Who does that include? Everybody, including the king. Who does God want to be saved? Everybody. Now, is everyone going to trust Christ as Savior? No. But it's not God's fault. It is not God's fault if you have not trusted Jesus Christ as Savior. There is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Friend, Jesus Christ, God the Son, God in a body, died not for his sins. He didn't have any sins. He died for yours. I've sinned. Christ died. I deserve hell. Christ owns heaven and he extends to me the gift of salvation. I can take it, I can leave it, but I can't add to it. It's Jesus Christ alone and Jesus Christ plus nothing, and that is God's will. That's why God sent his son to this earth. It was to die for our sins. In uh, 2 Peter, and you probably knew I was going here, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, the Bible says that the Lord is long-suffering, not just patient, but Suffering long, allowing long, long suffering to usward, not willing that any should come to repentance, but that all should come to repentance. So any and all. That's pretty clear. Uh, a couple of years ago, almost exactly two years ago, we were in West Virginia for revival meetings. And one night before the service, a guy just kind of walked up. I, I, I kind of thought maybe he was homeless. I didn't know. He didn't have a car. He just kind of walked up in the parking lot. And, uh, you know, a full lobby and pastor was kind of hanging out there and the man wanted to talk to pastor. And then the service started like five minutes later, so I, I missed what it was all about. But come to find out, this man had said to pastor, pastor, do you remember me? Pastor said, I'm, I'm sorry. No, I, I don't think I do. He said, well, about two years ago, my, my wife passed away and we didn't have a church and we didn't have a pastor and I just wanted someone to say some nice words about my wife and, and uh, conduct a, a, a memorial service for my wife. And he said, the man said, you did, and I know you don't remember me, but you, 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 you spoke for my wife's memorial service, and I thought you did a good job. And he said, I've just been to the doctor. I've been told, do you remember this scene? Do you remember how long he had? I, I, think, it was, I think it was months. I have months to live. And I, I wonder when I, when I die if you'd preach my service. Well, what do you think the first question the pastor asked him was? <laughs> Where are you going to go when you die? What's going to happen? Are you at peace with God? Do you know God? And the man, this is astounding to me. <clears throat> the man said, no, I'm not saved. I've never trusted Christ. And he said, you know what? I've lived my life and I wouldn't change anything. Here's a man literally asking a pastor he does not even know to preach his funeral and he has no regrets and he's never trusted Christ. Friend, I don't understand that. I don't understand it any more than if you're here tonight without the Lord Jesus Christ. You're here for a missions conference. We're talking about taking the gospel abroad. You're not even saved yourself right here in Clinton, Maine. You're sitting in a church that gives the gospel all the time. Have you ever trusted the Lord Jesus to do for you what you could never do for yourself? Now, I'm happy to say I saw that we've been back to that church and he's preached for me and he's been to other retreats just as a guest. And I asked him, I said, hey, do you remember that man? Of course he remembered. I said, whatever happened? 
He said, well, Will, I'm, I'm glad to say that shortly before he died, I, I talked to him, and he came to faith in the Lord Jesus, and, and he was saved. Well, friend, you don't know how much time you have. You, you're, you're probably not going to plan your funeral, but you're probably not expecting when yours is going to be. So God's will is for you to trust Christ as your Savior, not to just passively be saved. It is God's will for you to turn to God's Son as your Savior. Hey, real quick, because this is not in the text, but I want to I just say this. It's God's will, if you've trusted the Lord Jesus, to be baptized. Not so you will be saved, but if you have been saved as an act of obedience. Last week, I was driving through Paris, Illinois, and my dad is an evangelist, and years ago he preached at the uh, Paris um, National Guard Armory. It was a big gymnasium, horrible acoustics, but a large space, and they had a Churches came together and dad preached. And uh, I remember Paris, Illinois, because when I was seven years old, I remember being in a church there and thinking, you know what, I've just trusted Christ as Savior. I probably ought to be baptized because that's, that's just an act of obedience. Now, I didn't understand all the significance of baptism, but I knew it was an act of obedience. You're not baptized so you will be saved or to complete your salvation, but because you are saved. It's an act of obedience, and it's a picture of your death, burial, and resurrection with the Lord Jesus. So, you know, one man in the book of Acts famously said, you know, I trusted the Lord Jesus, and then he saw some water on the road, and he said, hey, here's water. What, what prevents me from being baptized? Well, that's a pretty good question for some of us tonight. There's water here somewhere. I don't know where, but here's water. What, what would prevent us from being baptized? So pictures, uh, baptism is a picture. Now, you certainly can't see this in the back, and you probably can't in the front. I'm going out of camera shot here. Horrible, horrible. Anybody know who this is? Anybody know who this is? And brave enough to tell me who this is? <laughs> okay, yes. Okay, someone has said, and you have to take her and my word for it. Someone has said, this is my sweetie. I think meaning that is my wife, Cena, right down here, right? So how many of you think this is my wife, Cena? How many of you don't think it's my wife, Cena? How many of you are not going to raise your hand either way? Okay, that's what I thought. Okay, I have to tell you something. This is not my wife. This is my wife. This is a picture of my wife. Wife, picture. Wife, picture. I have the one because I have the other. I cannot put her in my pocket, but I can put the picture in my pocket. So when I went to the Philippines... Well, these many years ago, I, I took this picture. Yeah, it's an old picture, Cena saying. I took this picture because I wanted to have something on me that reminded me of someone that was not with me. Okay, baptism is not salvation. Jesus is salvation. Baptism is a picture, and that's, that is God's will. Hey, the, con the, the actual context of the text, purity is God's will for you. Purity is God's call for you. Look again at verse 3 where the Bible says in chapter 4, this is the will of God, even your sanctification. Uh, that means state of purity. That ye should abstain, cut off, fornication. That means sexual impurity. Uh, look at verse 7. For God hath not called us unto uncleanness. What has God called us to? He's called us unto holiness. We're set apart to Him. We belong to Him. We're to live for Him. Not so we will be saved, but because we are saved. Verse 8 says, He therefore that despiseth or belittles or, or cast aside 
despiseth not man, but God, who hath given unto us his, what? His Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit wants his people to be holy. Friend, this is not just about traditional marriage. Now, I'm probably all for traditional marriage, but quite frankly, what tradition are we talking about? The one that existed 10 years ago? Or the one now? The one in Salt Lake City? The one in Hollywood? The one in Las Vegas? The one in Nashville? No, I'm not, I'm not quibbling here. But what we're talking about is not some tradition. Those come, those go, and in case you haven't noticed, that has already changed. What we're talking about is something that is, is given us by a loving and authoritative creator. God made it. I can't change it. I can accept it. I can accept Him. But um, to despise holiness is to despise God's Holy Spirit. Now look, I want to ask you a question. Are you saved? Have you trusted the Lord Jesus? If you have, you have God Himself, God the Holy Spirit, living literally inside your body. To guide you into truth. To give you guidance. Um, to partner with you when you give the gospel. The Bible teaches us that in the book of John. Um, so I want to ask you something. Would, would God watch what you've watched in the last three days? You know, back in the good old days, the 1900s, we talked about the movies, and then the television, and then VHS really, you know, our whole mindset is based on modern American economic uh, strategies. Okay, there's something more at play than just an economic strategy for Hollywood. Because everything from Buster Keaton to yesterday is on this right here. For almost everybody here, regardless of your age. And what I'm telling you is that um, when I watch, God is with me. God the Holy Spirit is in me. He convicts me, He convinces me, He shows me. And I either stiff-arm God and do what I should not, with God actually in me. Or I respond in obedience. Now look, if, if, I'm, if I'm imbibing filth, I'm not in God's will. Not. I may be a missionary, I may be an evangelist, I may be a pastor, I may be uh, working for GM or whatever, but I'm not in God's will because God's will is purity. God's will, God's calling is holiness. Um, would God read what you've read the last week? Now I'm not trying to be unkind, I'm just asking a fair question. It's the Holy Spirit of God that we're talking about. When I despise Him, when I despise purity and His call, I'm despising Him. Would God read what I've read the last three days? Uh, would God do what I've done the last three days? Would He do that? Because God is literally in me. God is with me. Would I listen to what I've listened? Would, would God listen to what I've listened to in the last three days? In other words, are these things, are these God's will? Is this music God's will? Is, is, this, is this content, is this God's will? That is a fair question to ask because, friend, without being unkind, it's so much nonsense to talk about across the ocean and the gospel way out here and in large venues. If I'm not willing to do right, right where I am. You know who God wants tonight? He wants all of us, but you know who God will use tonight? Not the most gifted among us. God will use those who He knows will do His will because they're doing it in the most basic areas of life that, that God has given to us. Hey, here's another one that is in the text, I think. Um, love is God's will. 
Look at, uh, would you please look at verse 9 of chapter 4? The Bible says this, But as touching brotherly kindness, ye need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. So love is, without getting into the weeds, love is doing what is right by someone. It is not merely a sentiment. It is not a feeling. I, I'm not commanded anywhere to like everybody. Now, I know Will Rogers said, if anyone remembers, and probably we don't, but Will Rogers said years ago, I never met a man I didn't like. Well, this Will has met lots of people he does not like. You say, what you, what you mean, Brother Will, is you love them in the Lord, but... You, no, I mean, I don't like them. Okay, now here's the thing about like. Like is based on frivolous, fickle things like the things that we have together. We both like chocolate ice cream. We went to the same school. We have the same alma mater. We like the same cars. We both like the Denver Broncos. We, you should. Um, you know, we have all these things that we have in common. Okay, well, look. Like is not God's command. God's command to you, God's command to me, is to love. Love is doing what is right, love is doing what is right by someone whether I like them or not. They didn't go to my school. They don't like my team. They may not like me. They don't like my personality. They don't like me. I'm to love them. I'm to do right by them whether I love... I'm to, I'm to love them whether I like them or not. Friend, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples that ye have what? Love one to another. I'll tell you something. I, I think about the fields our brothers and sisters represent this week. And I've been challenged this week. I, I don't know how you could... Be in a conference like this and not be challenged in a number of ways. But one of the things I think is strikingly different about the gospel of Jesus Christ and what we find cross-culture anywhere is the love that Jesus Christ alone can, can produce. We're not talking about something that's natural. We're talking about something that is, uh, that is utterly supernatural. In 1 John 4.20, this is a paraphrase, but um, if a man say, I love God... And hates his brother, he is a liar. For how can you love God whom you've not seen if you don't love your brother whom you have seen? Can I tell you something tonight? You know what God wants from this church? You know what God wants from me? God wants from you. God wants from us people that are saved, baptized, pure, loving one another, and giving the gospel everywhere we go. This, uh, this week to get here, uh, we were in a, um, it was this week. In the Travel Plaza, right, this week as, as we were traveling here, in the travel, travel Plaza in New York. And uh, Cena and I were at the food court. There was a Chick-fil-A and then something else, and there were three or four. And we were getting our, our supper that night. And a family came in. It was a lady and I think three children, two or three children. And the lady and the 12, 13-year-old were talking to each other, and they, they appeared to be using ASL, American Sign Language. They were signing. I just, sometimes I, I, like in Walmart or wherever I know people, I did this last week in Indiana. I thought someone was signing. I looked, and they were just talking with their hands. You know, they were just doing this, what I do. But uh, they, were, they were signing. So I said, hey, do you mind seeing it? Go ahead and get our supper. And when they started coming back, actually the girl came back kind of by herself. I just kind of ducked under the little uh, line ropes, you know what I'm talking about? Ducked under and I had a tract that has the gospel on it, that Christ died for our sins, that he was buried, and that he rose again, the gospel. And it says Bill Rice Ranch, that's the ministry that we steward. On the back, it has some information on how to get 
on the Bill Rice Ranch website. And so I, I said, she's deaf, I'm hearing. I said, hey, are, are you deaf? I knew she was, but I thought that would get her attention. Are you deaf? And she said, yes. And I said, well, hey, I'm, I'm hearing, but my aunt is deaf, my uncle is deaf. And a long, long time ago, my grandparents started a camp for deaf young people. And they come free. And I said, um, uh, on the back here, you can watch videos that talk about camp. And I gave her a track with the gospel. And uh, just it was just literally just a couple minutes. And then she went her way. You know, there are more deaf than you would suppose. Now, Maine, uh, I don't know how many there are here. But there are more deaf than you might suppose just because you wouldn't know unless you happen to see them talking. You know, there are, there are more of everything than you might suppose. Uh, again, yesterday, was it Wednesday morning? We were, again, in New York. We were at Walmart. Our goal is to be in every Walmart in America. And we're halfway there. So we were in this Walmart, and you probably know this. You're going to say, wow, what a, what a hick from the sticks. But down in Tennessee, we haven't learned that plastic bags are evil and of the devil, and we still use them. We don't need suitcases. We pack in those things. We use them all the time. So we go into this Walmart, and we got all our stuff on this big, you know, buggy or cart, whatever you call it up here. And we come to, a, it's, of course, it's self-checkout. There's no human interaction. That'd be really, really slow and dumb. So we're about to check through. And I noticed, my wife noticed, I, I don't notice anything like this. My wife noticed there are no plastic bags. There are no paper bags. There are no virtue bags. There are no bags of any kind. And so there's a girl standing here that had the Walmart uniform on, and she said, hey, there are no plastic bags. And, and I felt like uh, it was kind of like when I told our waiter 10 years ago that I wanted a non-smoking section. It was like, where have you been? There are no, there are no non It's all non-smoking. So, you know, we said, hey, we don't, we don't have any plastic bags. She said, oh, in New York, um, yeah, she didn't explain. She just said, we don't have any. So she was very helpful. She went and got a, some other kind of plastic that's probably also evil, but we had to pay for it, and uh, brought it over. Well, very sweet lady. She was very helpful. She was from Nepal. And we started talking. I said, where are you from? She said, Nepal. She said, where are you from? I said, I'm from Tennessee. She said, I've never heard of that country. <laughs> and literally right after this conversation, the guy comes up to the very next Next, uh, what do you call this thing? Checkout. Very next checkout. And he's wearing a kilt and boots and a little beret and a little Scottish guy. I'm going to do a little jig here. You know, a little Scottish guy. And I thought, man, here, we're going to a mission conference and here's a girl from Nepal. Here's a guy that is either a few bricks shy or, you know, he's from, he's from Scotland. And uh, we saw a deaf young lady the other night. All these people, friends, they're all over the place. And if we're not living... If we're not showing the love of Christ in this church, how are we going to show it when we go out these doors? That is the will of God. One more thing and we're done, all right? And that is gratitude. Did you know that gratitude is the will of God? Uh, finally, turn to chapter 5, verse 18. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18. The Bible says, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Now, the verse before that says, pray without ceasing. So this is interesting. How are we to pray? Without ceasing. How are we to give thanks? In everything. So, um, unceasing prayer leads to gratitude in everything. Can I just say, if you can't think of anything actively to give thanks for, it may well be you're not asking for anything. 
you're not having answers to prayer for anything, and therefore your whole life is going stale because you're not asking, you're not praying, you're not receiving. So unceasing prayer and frequent thanks go hand in hand. You know what? Uh, we got to be thankful for what God made. He made you. We got to be thankful for what God gives. He gives eternal life. We ought to be thankful for what God has not given. And that is what we deserve. Look, the, the bottom line is, the question, if you knew God's will tonight, would you do it? It's so easy to say, well, you know, I'm seeking God's will, and if God will just show me His will, then, you know, I'll, I'll do it. Look, that's fine, but would you be willing to do God's will tonight if you knew it? That is the question. Sometimes we're asking God for wisdom. God, give me your will. We're asking for wisdom when what we need is just the courage to obey what we know right now. Amen. Several years ago, the ranch had uh, spearheaded, as we did for, I think, 10 years in a row, an evangelistic outreach to New York City. And we had pastors and lay people and churches from literally Nevada to the East Coast that joined us uh, in giving the gospel in the subway system primarily. We would pray with people and then we would just talk to them. And it's great to just hear what objections people actually have, what needs people actually have, and just give them the gospel. That's good for everyone of every generation. And uh, we had a big banner that says, uh, prayer changes things, which is a quaint idea that happens to be true, I believe. And we, you know, we, we gave them the gospel. So a couple weeks after we had done that, I got a call back at the Bill Rice Ranch. I was in my office and got a phone call. And uh, it was a man who had been in New York City, and his name was Marcus, and he wanted to know if we would pray for him still, as we had in New York City. So I said, yeah, I'd, I'd be honored to pray with you. Now, this is two phone calls. I'm kind of collapsing into one, but this is the essence of what he asked for. First of all, he said, I, I lost my wife a couple years ago. She passed away, and I'm asking God for a Proverbs 31 wife. You know what a Proverbs 31 wife is? Proverbs 31, it talks about the virtuous woman, and I think sometimes Christian ladies really don't like the Proverbs 31 woman because it sounds like she's so perfect, but he was looking for a wife that was a godly woman, and he said, I'm, I'm looking for a Proverbs 31 wife. Well, I said, Marcus, I said, anyone can find a, a, a spouse, anyone can find a wife, but only God can give the kind of wife you're looking for. And that is true, don't you think? I think asking is better than just looking sometimes. And uh, I said, yeah, I'd, I'd be happy to. He said, uh, and then pray for my son Cosimil. He's not saved. He's never trusted the Lord Jesus. And I, I'm concerned about him, and I, I want him to be saved. So I said, yeah, I'd, I'd be happy to, to pray with you about that. And they said, pray that God will give me a, a, a well-paying job. He said, you know, and then he said, um, pray that I have wisdom. He said, I have a friend that has a nightclub in Manhattan, and uh, I have an opportunity to be a bouncer at this nightclub in Manhattan, so pray that I'll have wisdom. So you know what I said, right? How dare you? And then I launched into my wine as a mocker sermon. Did I do that? Could have. I did not. I let him talk for a little bit. Let him play out the rope a little bit. And after about four minutes, it became obvious that I didn't need to tell Marcus that this was not the right thing. He knew it was not right. He's asking God to give him a job, and then he's ready to take what the devil brings, the first chance he gets. Now, I want to ask you a question, all right? Could God give Marcus a Proverbs 31 wife, yes or no? Sure. Could the devil give him a Proverbs 31 wife? 
No, not, not that kind of wife. You understand? God could. The devil could not. Okay. Could God save Marcus' son? Yes or no? Could the devil save Marcus' son? No. Could God give Marcus a, a good paying job? Yes. Could the devil give Marcus a good paying job? Yes. And one out of three ain't bad. And if, if the devil can give you what you want, it will cost you what you have. And if he can wag your future by taking your decision right now, he'll do it every time. Friend, look, Marcus did not need to ask for wisdom. Marcus needed to pray for courage. You know, sometimes we pray for courage when we need a lick of sense. You don't need more courage. You need wisdom to know what to do. Then pray for courage. Other times we're praying for, you know, uh, uh, wisdom when we just need the, forgive me, the guts to do what we already know to be right. We need both wisdom and courage. My dad has often prayed, Lord, give me the wisdom to know what is right and the courage to do it. And I pray that prayer almost as if I'd never heard it because it's kind of natural if you're paying attention. God, give me the wisdom to know what is right and the courage to do it. Now, friend, look. Do you have the wisdom to know what God's will for you is tonight? Probably, probably so. Do you have the courage to do it? Because if the answer is yes, I'm convinced that the gospel will go forth from this church through this city and to the world in many days to come. Because God's people are intent on knowing God's will and on doing it right here, right now, and clear. Would you bow with me, please, for prayer? You've been very kind tonight, and no one's looking. Pastor may care to join me.